had a break over a couple of weeks, and uh, I'd like to really draw in this message on unashamed into a close. And uh, we shared a whole number of things about it, but just pick it up and get, uh, just get your mind back focused again on what we were sharing. I want to share with you something that, is, that will be a major help for you, be a help for you if you do it. If you don't do it, it's just another meeting. But if you actually start to put it into practice in your life, it can change your life completely. And so we were looking in the series, Unashamed, God's, how God created us to be unashamed, to be connected relationally. That's part of being unashamed. So sin disconnects us from God and puts shame around our life. But God wants us to be connected. So part of being unashamed is I can connect to people. I can be myself. I don't have to wear a mask. I can actually just be true and authentic and genuine. But I have to learn the skills of building good relationships as well. So God, we're, de we're dealing at the moment with the issue of shame. And we found that when sin entered in, that shame came on people and Adam and Eve covered themselves. They put on a mask, they clothed themselves up, they covered themselves and they hid. And we saw uh, over that series that shame is an identity thief. It's, it stops you being able to be who you are because you're not too sure who you are. And so we refer to what's outside us to define who we are. Uh, I am a businessman. I am this or I am that. But we don't actually define who we are according to what God says. And today we want to talk about redefining ourselves. We're going to talk about shifting our belief system. Shifting our belief system. I don't know where all that scratching's coming from. Okay, we'll just get used to this new microphone here in a moment. <laughs> okay then, so we talked then about uh, how Adam and Eve, when they drew back and they covered themselves and shame covered their life, they became disconnected, they lost their confidence, and we saw that their lives were dramatically changed. And I want to pick this up and pick up this truth that God has made provision for our shame. And I want to talk with you the provision He's made and how we begin to take that provision around our life. So we'll have a look back into Genesis chapter 3 and uh, just pick up the verses there in uh, <coughs> Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to have a look at the entrance of sin. I want to pick it up in verse, uh, uh, we'll pick it up in verse th uh, 1. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we can eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor you shall touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. In other words, he denies that there are consequences for sin. And then he said, now here's the one I want to pick it up at, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be Notice, you will be, you will become something. This is identity. You'll be like God. Actually, he already was like God. He was created in the image of God. And notice how sin entered in. Notice the, the, the entrance of shame into the world came through believing a lie. And if you continue to believe lies, shame will continue to cling. It doesn't matter how many meetings you go to, it doesn't matter how many songs you sing, how many passages of the Bible you have learned or memorized or whatever, if you continue in your heart to believe this lie, then what will happen is shame will continue to come around you. Notice what the lie was. Have a look at it here. It says, he says, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Now notice what he said. He sowed the seed of doubt, God is not good. You can't really trust him 
because he holds out on you. That's what he's saying. God is not good. And that's actually the core issue that we struggle with is whether we really believe God is good. And whether we really believe God can be trusted. Now, if God is good and I can trust him, then I can lean my life on him in every area and be secure in him and not have to worry about people are saying and doing around me. And notice this. He implied that God is holding out on you. If you actually were to just set out and run your life your own way, then you would actually have revelation and understanding and you would be something. You would become something. You would become like God's. So notice how the devil has tempted him. He sowed a lion to him. God is not good. God can't be trusted. God is holding out on you. If you do what God says, you'll miss out on something. You tithe, well, you'll miss out. God will take your money. See? If you withhold having sex before marriage, well, you're going to miss out. That lie pervades the civilization today. It's always there. It's just there. God is not good. God can't be trusted. God is holding out on you. Now, if you just break out, you can really make something of your life. You, you can become something. And so rather than resting in his identity as a child of God, he took on board those lies, and those lies form the foundation for him running a life independent of God. And if we are going to come out of the path of shame and out of shame around our life and become who God says we are, we have to come back to a foundational faith in our heart. God is good. God can be trusted. God loves me. He's got my very best interests at heart. So no matter what he says, even if it doesn't look right, God still is good. If someone dies unexpectedly, God is still good. If something goes wrong in my life, God is good. God can be trusted. Something happens I didn't expect, God is good. God can be trusted. Now you understand this, the foundation of our Christian walk depends on us believing in our heart. God is good all of the time. He can be trusted all of the time. His word is reliable. He is reliable, and if I trust my life into his hands, I won't miss out. I'll actually become everything he wants me to become. You see, that's, that's the core of how this thing of shame entered in. They believed lies. So if we don't deal with lies in our life, if we don't shift our heart beliefs, then what will happen is we have a form of Christianity, but we have no living connectedness to God and his power. Listen. If you have doubts about someone's goodness, how could you trust them? How can you lean on that person if you are not really sure they can be trusted? And this is the problem that so many believers have, is we really do doubt that God is good and can be trusted, and so we give a measured trusting, so long as I keep within what I can control. But God calls us to abandon ourselves to Him because He's trustworthy. And you see here what Adam and Eve have done. The moment sin came in, immediately the glory of God left them. They became damaged, and their first response was to hide. God came, and he came walking in the, the Bible says that they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. Now, notice God's first, God's first question to Adam. Adam, where are you? Now, what kind of question is that? Is that an information question? Adam, I, I can't figure out where you got to. You're not in the normal meeting place. Where did you go? How come you didn't turn up on time? It's not an information question. It's a relationship question. God's primary concern with us is 
relationship. He wants you to have relationship because out of relationship, you then begin to arise and you have dominion or you represent him out of your relationship with him. So his first priority is relationship. Even though Adam and failed and sinned, God still loved him passionately. And we can see that God had not changed because Adam sinned. Look at this in, uh, in Genesis 3 and verse 21. Genesis 3 and verse 21. Now, Adam had become ashamed. He lost his identity as a child of God. He had lost his intimacy with God because shame is an intimacy thief, an identity thief. Now, I want you to see what the Lord did. And we're going to look at God's provision that he made. The provision that he made for shame in Genesis 3 verse 21. Now, the Lord also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, notice the thing that God does. He demonstrated, first of all, Adam, where are you? He demonstrates he's a relational God. He's looking for where we are. He's looking for where we're hiding. He's looking to engage you at a heart level. Where are you really? Where do you live? What is going on in your life? What is really happening in your life? I made you to be my friend What's happened to our friendship? Where are you living your life? Is it in friendship with me or has something happened? So the, the passionate desire of God always has been a love relationship, intimacy connected with, uh, with us. Sin and the shame it brings disconnects us. So notice now what God does. God shows he's good. Adam, I see in your own efforts you've covered yourself. But I tell you, I'm still good, and i got a better covering than the one you've made. So a result of shame is we conceal who we are. We put on a mask so no one really knows us because we're not happy about what we're like and what they'll do if they see what we're like. We put on a mask, and then we hide ourselves. So we get busy. Some people get busy in their work, and they pour themselves into their work, never stopping to realize that maybe all the rest of their life is totally out of balance and not as God intended. The work has now become a covering for the insecurities and other things in their life. Or we pour ourselves into our children. It's right to work. It's right to invest in your children. But some people, some women, their, their life and identity is in the children. But life is not to be found there. Life is to be found. My identity is I'm a representative of God. If your life is found in the children, how can you train them? How can you correct them? How can you endure them being disapproving of you? How can you stand up to them as teenagers and correct them and they go angry and it doesn't affect you too much? You have to be secure in your identity in who you are in Christ. See, so, so what God did is God came to him. Notice this. First thing is God demonstrated he's still a good God. I still love you. I see there you've got fig leaves on. Well, I don't know. You don't, I've, I made caterpillars and caterpillars eat fig leaves. So that's not a good thing to have on. I got something better for you, you know? So he said, so this is what he said. He, notice what it is. He, he, he made tunics or he made clothing. God made clothing for them. How did he do that? He'd go, there they are, some designer Amani. He didn't do it that way, did he? How did he do it? Some innocent animals had to lose their life to provide the clothing. So right now, God is foreseeing what, centuries ahead of time, he's foreseeing the tragedy that would be in the earth as a result of the sin, and he's picturing and prophetically foretelling that he is going to make a provision that will break the power of sin and shame and enable people to live free again. 
So an, an innocent animal is going to lose its life. It's a prophetic picture here of Christ. Second thing you notice, that he made tunics. God created something from that innocent animal's death. He created something of value that could be used to clothe them. Third thing was, they had to remove the clothing they had. It's not comfortable to wear fig leaves underneath sheepskins. Fig leaves don't make good underwear. <laughs> See, they had to remove what they'd provided for themselves, and they had to receive and apply God's provision. Now, in that, you begin to start to see that in spite of all the impact of sin, God's heart is still good. God still loves Adam and Eve. He's now provided for them. And this is a prophetic picture of something that Christ would do for us at Calvary, something he would provide for us. So we want to have a look now at what happened at Calvary. Just, I'm going to have a look at a brief part of it. I want to show you something dramatic that happened at Calvary. And then we're going to look at just some key truths you need to put on in your life if you want to walk free of shame. Okay, so let's go and have a look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 50. Matthew 27 and verse 50. And we're looking at the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. <coughs> Genesis 27, let's see if I can find a verse... Uh, uh, sorry, Matthew 27. I've got the wrong passage here. Here we go. Aha, here we go. Very good. Well, we'll read it from about verse 45. Verse 45 through to about verse 54. Okay? Now, it was the sixth hour until the ninth hour. There was a darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice. Notice that loud voice. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Saying, Eli, Eli, whatever it is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, men, and some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And then Jesus cried out again. Notice here a second time, a loud voice. And then he yielded or he gave up his spirit. Then. Now, I want you to see something here. Jesus has uh, been taken. He's been unjustly accused. He's been mocked. He's been shamed. He's been ridiculed. They, they uh, stripped him of his clothing. They beat him. They, uh, they cut him with the, with the whips. They put the crown of thorns on him. And all of this, he endured the shame and humiliation of this so he can provide a powerful remedy for sin and shame in our lives. Now notice this, it says Jesus cried with a loud voice and then something happened the moment he yielded up or he gave up his spirit. Now Jesus had power to do something we didn't have power to do. He had power to yield up his life at the time he was ready. And the Bible says he yielded up or he surrendered his life at that point. And then I want you to see something that God did, some things that the Lord did. I want to just draw your attention to three things that were dramatic the first one here was, it says, behold, or look, this amazing thing. The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, number one. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. And 52, the graves, were, verse 52, graves were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared unto many. 
And the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. Now, God has done something at Calvary for us. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and fell and they covered themselves and God prophetically showed them that he had a provision for them which one day would come into the earth. It would require Jesus Christ laying down his life. It would require the innocent dying for the guilty. Now I want you to see something. When Jesus surrendered his life, he didn't do it with a whimper. Now most people, when they die, their voice starts to fade away. Their voice becomes very weak. But twice, right at the very end, it says Jesus, now you've got to remember, he's been uh, tortured, he's been whipped, he's been crucified, hanging in pain for three hours, and now he says with a loud voice. He cries out with a, a loud voice. He is actually proclaiming his total victory over what sin has done, his total victory over the power that the devil had held people in bondage, in sickness and shame and death for all of those years. He cries out with a loud voice. It is a shout of triumph. It is a shout of victory that he has won. And immediately it is answered from heaven. Now listen, a lot of people shout, but there's not many shouts and there's an answer from heaven. You have to understand that when Jesus let out a loud shout, it was a shout against his enemies. It was a shout of victory, of total victory over sin and shame and sickness, cursing, poverty, everything that could come into earth, everything the devil used to hold man in bondage. He cried out a shout of victory and heaven answered. And it answered in three ways. It answered by dramatic burst of power from heaven into the earth. Jesus' death was not normal. Listen, you've got to imagine right now at that very time when Jesus died, the high priest was offering the Passover lamb, the natural lamb, just like the lamb that was slain to give a natural provision for Adam and Eve. Right then, he was about just in the process of offering that sacrificial lamb. There was a huge thick curtain that held people back from being able to access the presence of God. And suddenly, two hands come from heaven, tears it from top to bottom, and God has now made that place open. You and I have access freely to God. Shame stops us being intimate with God. Shame stops us being intimate with, with people. God removed the veil and said, it's now possible. Wherever you are, you can have access to me through faith in this thing that Jesus just did on Calvary. You have right to come right in where you could never come before into the very presence of Almighty God. That is a privilege given to us by that death on the cross. The second thing that happened was, it says the earth shook and the rocks were split. That word earth refers to the whole, uh, the whole countryside, the, the, the very ground on which everyone stood. There was literally a shaking of everything. Remember when Adam fell, the earth was also brought into bondage and God shook it. It was shaken so hard by the power of God, they couldn't stand up. People fell over on the ground. Whoever was around there that was standing proudly laughing and mocking at Jesus' death, listen, they would have fallen over because an earthquake that shakes the land and can split open rocks, you can't stand in that. If you had been here in the earthquake in 31 when the ground shook and things began to split open, you couldn't stand. No one could stand. The earth literally shook with the power released. 
In other words, and then the, the third thing that happened is the graves opened and people rose from the dead when Jesus also rose. By this we have an incredibly clear witness. What Jesus did was accepted by God as totally sufficient. Now, if you try to make yourself right with God by working hard, performing, trying to become something by, by striving, by doing all kinds of things, listen, you will end up just striving and striving and striving. You end up in bondage. Jesus wants us to understand through this that the work He did has provided acceptance for us. Religion means you want to become accepted by God. Religion is man's way of working and doing stuff so I'll be good enough for heaven. So I'll be good enough to be accepted by God. So God will be pleased with me and not be mad with me. That is the core of religion. Christianity is completely different. In Christianity, God did the work through Jesus Christ. God said, this is good enough for me. This makes people totally acceptable to me. There is something Jesus did for us that provides a clothing, a covering for us. In the Bible, the Bible uses the word righteousness. Righteousness refers to this. It means to be declared or to be announced judicially clean, clear, not guilty. It's a pronouncement in the legal system of heaven, not guilty, innocent, there are no charges that stick. Shame will cause the charges, accusations to stick. Righteousness is God's clothing and answer for this issue of shame. I need to know I am a righteous person. Now, of course, because we don't use the word righteous very much, except in church, people in the world haven't got a clue what it means, really. Righteousness. Well, a righteous person, I suppose, is sort of some churchy person, I guess. We don't have much concept of it, but the original word meant to be declared or decreed and announced to be innocent and free of all charges. Now, if you are innocent and free of all charges, you have nothing to be ashamed of. There is no reason for any shame. Not only are you announced uh, as, as being uh, free of all charges, you now have privileged access to come in as a child of God into the presence of God. Who am I? Am I a sinner? No. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Religion will keep calling you a sinner. Religion will keep focusing on your faults, your failings, and make you conceal them, cover them, and work trying to get over them. But, but Christianity, the Word of God declares, now you can become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now you can be clothed with all His goodness and free from being ashamed about anything lacking in your life. So God does two things. One, He pronounces those who come to Christ clean, clear, innocent. Now, You've got to not just have that as a head knowledge. That has to get into the heart. Because the problem is most Christians have been around a while or two. They actually believe that scripture. They know, or so I put it this way, they know that scripture. Okay? But the problem is believing it. To believe it, I've got to believe it in my heart. It has to get into my heart. It has to get in my heart. I am righteous. But I've got these weaknesses and lacks. So I am righteous. I am righteous. I, have to be, I actually have to bring my heart into agree with what God says about me in spite of the flaws, lacks that may still be apparent externally or in my life in some areas. I need to agree 
with what God says about me. Righteousness. Look at this in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I'll get it down and I'll bring it to where it becomes incredibly practical in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we pick it up in verse 21. Now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe there is no difference. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they are made just freely by His grace through redemption that is in Christ, whom God set forth as a mercy seat by His blood through faith. Notice it's continually through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God passed over the sins that were committed, that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. Now these words are hard to pick up. They're hard to get a handle on. But let me just give it to you in a kind of a really simple way. God has made possible for us to be absolutely declared innocent of all failings of all mistakes, of everything that we have done. He's made that possible. There are two ways that you can try and get this. One is you work for it. You strive for it. You try hard to be a good person. Try hard to do a good, run a good life. You try and the works of the law. You try to do things to satisfy this thing of righteousness. But there's another way. And this is the way that the Bible says we can be made righteous. By faith. I have to put my heart trust no matter what my mind and feelings are telling me, that what God has said is completely reliable and legally I can come into His presence. And I'll show you how you apply this into your life because unless it gets as a working thing in the heart, it's just kind of words in the Bible. It has to move from words in the Bible to actually I know who I am and where I stand before God. And you notice that the key path in there is the word faith. To him who believes. Him who believes. I must believe. In Romans 10 verse 10, by, by faith. Is it? We are made righteous before God by faith. I have to believe. Well, what do I have to believe? I have to believe that all that Jesus Christ did is totally accepted. It's made me accepted to God. I'm going to just share with you a couple of things, and then we're going to look at uh, three or four practical truths related to this. First of all, look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So we understand that in the Old Testament, God made a provision for their shame, provided a covering. In the New Testament, Jesus died on the cross, and His life becomes our covering. If I will come to Him, I can be accepted by God. And this makes Christianity unique. Romans 10.10, 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Now, look what it says in John 8. Uh, John 8, and verse, uh, pick it up at verse 31. Verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Notice this, he says truth has the power to liberate you and change your life. Truth has the power to free you from things that held you in bondage. So, if I, my life has been in bondage to guilt and shame, or particularly shame, and I feel there's something wrong with me, I'm not good enough, not acceptable, the truth of God's Word has the power to set me free. But for it to set me free, I must know that truth. And that word know is the word in the Bible mean to be intimate with someone with 
with a view to reproducing something. It's when Adam knew his wife Eve. There was sexual intimacy or there was a oneness with his wife with a view to bringing forth children. So Jesus said, you shall know the truth. So to the tr for the truth to set me free, it's not just a matter I've heard the verse and someone told me. I actually have to become intimate with it. It has to get into my heart. It's not enough just to actually say, yeah, 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 I know that verse. Yeah, I agree with it. Yeah, it's right. See, the, the truth that sets you free is not just the truth in the Bible. It's the truth in the Bible that you now know by experience in your heart. And what happens in the West is we tend to try to get lots of knowledge, but biblical knowledge always involves experience and outworking in your life. Right? So notice that the righteousness comes by faith. The word faith means to believe. All right then. But believe to us means, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe there's a God. Listen, believing there's a God does not save you. It doesn't change you a bit. The devils believe and they tremble, but it doesn't save them. You understand? Biblical belief is not just mentally agreeing with something. And that's, what's, that's where many, uh, many of the church in the West particularly have come undone. We're so filled with Greek way of thinking that we think if we know about it, that's when we know it. But actually in the Bible, the biblical belief, biblical faith, I have to have it working in my life or I don't know it at all. In other words, biblical knowledge was always experiential. The Greek invasion of the church in 300 AD and the Greek thinking invading the church caused us now to become, we just think if I know about it, then, then I know it. We see you can know about tithing, but it actually it does you no good unless you position yourself and you begin to start to tithe regularly. You begin to see God break through for you. You begin to know the truth has actually done something in your finances. You all got quiet now. Yeah. This is true. This is how it works. See? So if I know Bible verses, but I'm not working them, I don't really know them at all. I know about them. The only truth that changes my life is the truth I become intimate with, embrace, and I allow it to change how I live my life. That's the truth we know. So we may have heard heaps of messages, heaps of sermons, but the only truth you really know biblically is the one that's actually working out in your life. If I see it working in your life, then it is, you got the truth. And you'll stand up and testify, man, I just what Jesus did. It's experiential. You get the idea? The trouble is then we have so much that we know about in the head, I got to get it from the head to the heart. It's the getting it from the head to the heart. Okay? So let's give you an example. How many know? We'll read a verse. We'll read a verse and then we'll just give you a couple of questions. See what you do. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. Romans 10 and verse 10. So Romans 10 and verse 10. With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture said, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So you notice now, there's a confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. Now what part of you must believe? What part of me believes? No, I didn't say if you believe with your head. It says if you believe with your heart, that means an experiential knowledge. See, and Paul in writing to the Corinthians said, I don't want you to be ignorant of how to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. He says, in other words, saying, I don't want you to be without experiential knowledge how to do this. So here's the challenge. How can I get it from my head, knowing about the Scripture, into my heart? So 
I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions. How many believe that scripture? Let's start off with that scripture there. That with the heart man, man, man believes unto righteousness. How many believe that's true? Okay, believe the word's true. How many then have said, man, I believe what Jesus Christ has saved me. I believe and now I'm righteous before God. How many believe that? Okay, that's a fair few. The others think it's a trick question and you're not righteous before God at all. You're in real trouble. <laughs> okay, now here's the question I want to really ask. Okay. How many feel righteous? Okay, that's where the dilemma comes. Because what you feel is what you're experiencing in your heart and your life. And so what happens is you have many, and there'll be many of us here today, and this is what the struggle will be. I know that scripture, if I will believe in my heart that uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross for sin and raised from the dead, I'll be right before God. I, I believe that scripture, but I don't feel righteous. I feel something missing and lacking. I feel incomplete. I feel as though something is not right. So when I come to stand before God, when I come to worship then, see, I don't feel quite right. And I don't know what to do. Perhaps I'll sing louder. Perhaps I'll clap louder. Perhaps that'll do it. But, I'm, but the, the real struggle is the internal one. See, when shame cloaks us, we're disconnected. When shame is removed and we are righteous before God, we can connect. And so we come into worship, we, we come the Bible way, which tells us, I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And then it says, know, know, know this, that the Lord is your God and you are his people. It reminds us who we are, our identity. And then it says, and now if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart, and talks about worshiping him. So there's a progression of how to access the presence of God. Now the problem is everyone can clap and sing songs. That's the easy bit. We can all sing the songs. We can all shout and clap our hands and do that part. But the real key part is the connecting intimately with God. And if there is something in your heart that causes you to doubt, if there are accusations, if there's shame, if there's anything in your heart that's resident there and has a hold there, when it comes to access the presence of God, you won't do it. You'll feel, I'm not right. I, I just had a bad week this week. I, I had this, I had this, I had this. All kind of stuff comes up. Instead of being able to enjoy the presence of God. And so services become shortened because the majority of people don't know how to stand and stay in the presence of God. Moses, the people said, they, they saw the cloud. They said, Moses, you go there, talk with God. You just come and tell us something. But this is not what we're called to do. We're called to be intimate with God. And out of intimacy with God, then we overflow in our life. We have an incredible life. But it's this issue of intimacy with God. Now, if you have shame, you are clothed with something's wrong with me, you can't be intimate. So when you stand before God, do you feel there's something wrong with you? Do you constantly remember things that are wrong? What, what things are going through your a conscious awareness? What are you feeling? Well, I need to know that I'm righteous. If I know that I'm righteous, I can stand there and I can feel absolutely accepted and in his presence and I can enjoy him. So to get it from the head to the heart, there's a key. The Bible is very clear on how to shift things from the head to the heart. I have to meditate in the truth. I must meditate in the truth until my heart embraces that it's true. Okay? I must meditate in the, in the truth until my heart welcomes, receives, and produces the fruit of it. So if you come before the Lord 
and you're consciously aware something's not right with me and you feel a bit ashamed about your life, then the truth of your righteousness is not operating. For if it's operating, I can actually come boldly into his presence like the Bible says. That's why the Bible says come boldly. Come boldly into his presence. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace where we'll obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. God says come boldly into his presence. But you see, if you've got shame and guilt, you won't come boldly. And then you may put a religious thing over it and say, well, well, actually, we'd rather, we're not into this clapping, shouting thing. We'd rather be reverent before God. But that's actually a lie. It covers completely the truth. That, in fact, that person is not right before God. They don't feel right before God. And they're trying to put on a religious cloak to make it appear as though they are. Constantly, the Bible tells us how to come near to the Lord. It is always with strong expressions. Praise, gratitude, thanksgiving, declarations, all of those things, and then bow down and be intimate with Him. We can come with the bold expressions because our heart is right. We can come with bold expressions. There's nothing hanging on me anymore. Devil can't pin one on me anymore. I'm free. I'm right before God. So how can I get the truth to shift? It shifts through meditation. It shifts as I will meditate. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, meditation you can say, well, just, but it's nothing like that. Meditation is quite different. Meditation, biblical meditation, means taking the Word of God and imagining it, picturing it, using your imagination. Your imagination is like a screen on the inner man, and that's where the impressions from God, the revelations from God come. It's also where impressions from the outside world come. And so our imagination, we have to renew. We need to actually use the imagination God's given us. How do we do that? We take the Word of God and we begin to picture it in a, and then imagine what that truth looks like. God says, I'm righteous. What does it look like to be righteous? What would it look like in standing before God? What would it feel like? And so you imagine what it looks like. You imagine what it feels like. You are imagining, picturing inside yourself the truth. It's not trying to make up something. Not trying to make up some weird thing or <clears throat> make up things in your imagination. It's taking biblical truth and repeatedly picturing it and embracing that picture, welcoming that picture until that picture begins to settle in the heart and you become conscious, I'm right before God. See, when you come to pray for someone, whatever you're conscious of will immediately arise. So if I bring you up to pray for someone, get someone with a need, bring you to pray for them, this is what will happen. The moment you come near to pray for them, the first thing you'll be aware of is whether you're close to God or not. And if you're not aware you're close to God and God is full of love and He's a good God and He will supply, immediately you'll start to fear because you have to perform. Now, I've got to do something. See? And the reason you have to do something is because you're not conscious that you're standing near to God that God is the one who does something, you are just the postman who delivers. Receive, deliver, receive, deliver. You don't have to be smart to be a postman. Oh, there's a letter? Okay, just deliver it. Letter, just deliver it. So ministry to people is receive, deliver. Receive the letter, post the letter. Receive, oh, it's your number, there it is. Now that actually is what ministry really at the core of it involves. But the key part is being conscious of the presence of God, being aware of His presence. So to become aware of His presence, I must take time to meditate, to continually reflect on the truth. I'll give you three or four truths you can reflect on. Just a moment. But, 
that I need to not only imagine it and see it, imagine how it feels. I allow the feeling of that to rise. It's good. See, for example, <coughs> if you look back over your shoulder and you see all the rest of your life behind you, then what do you see? If you're a forgiven person and you know you're forgiven, you look back, there's nothing to see. It's wiped away. Eh? If you know that you are a forgiven person, it's a revelation to you, you don't feel bad about any of that stuff on the back. But you see, if you're not sure about that, you'll start to remember all the things you did. You start to feel bad about them. And that stops you accessing the presence of God. So we have to, be, we have to know we're righteous. Know we're righteous. Right before God. How do I know that? I begin to meditate, 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 meditate. The presence of God with me. Presence of God with me. See? And I have to meditate on what the Bible says is true. And as I do that, it becomes established in the heart. Now, the biggest thing is people don't want to take the time to do it. But if you take the time to do it, your life changes. And you're free of shame. See? If you take the time to do it, your life changes. Your life changes. You begin to experience God. You begin to encounter God. You begin to experience Him as someone who loves you passionately. You begin to enjoy the experience of being in His presence. You begin to feel His love flowing into your heart. You begin to have that encounter and that experience. It becomes a part of your life. But there's a process to it, and that process is called meditation, embracing the truth, holding the truth, imagining the truth, declaring the truth until I feel it sink into my heart. When it does, you change. You actually then are unashamed. Then come before God, absolutely. Unashamed. That's why David did it. Absolutely unashamed to answer before the Lord. Absolutely unashamed to be himself. Why not worry what anyone thinks? I don't care what anyone thinks. It's about me and God. And oh, you can imagine the joy he had in his life after all the years. Now God is fulfilling the promises. He's excited about the Lord. Unashamed to be unashamed about loving the Lord. See, a lot of people are hung up, can't lift their hands, can't dance, can't twirl, can't do anything. Like they're held back. Now that's, see, show, God's one who gets free of all that stuff. Not so you can have a personality like mine, but so you can have your own personality and be expressive totally about what God, how you love the Lord. Passionately expressive and loving of God. So meditation plants the truth in your heart. It plants the truth. I am right before God. I'm accepted before God. I am loved by Him. And there's several truths you need to have put into your heart. The first truth is that God loves you. God absolutely and totally loves you. That's a good truth to put into your heart. Well, you say, well, I know that one. Really? Really? You see, you know the words. God loves you. But, but has it become a revelation, see, that I am loved? If I am loved, I don't have to go hunting everywhere else for it. I am absolutely loved by God. Here's another truth. God has uh, made us to be righteous or he's made us accepted. Well, here's the truth. I am accepted totally before God. I can come before him blamelessly. That's a good truth to know, isn't it? See? God is good and I can trust him. See? That's a good truth to have in your heart. God has made me unique to be in a representative of him. I'm an ambassador. I can represent God uniquely. I don't have to compare with anyone. I can be myself. I'm called to represent Him. 
by being me. But you just got to live in the heart. It lives in the heart. I give you scriptures for all of these things. But it's got to live as a truth in the heart. It's got to become truth in the inner man. And when it becomes truth, that's when you begin to find your life changed. Now, of course, the dilemma is it requires some time working on your belief system. Now, listen, your belief system is your belief system. And most of our belief systems were formed out of the environment, circumstance around us. And we've got many things we believe to be true in our heart, which are not true at all. And you see, as the Holy Spirit helps you identify those truths which are not truths at all, they're wrong beliefs, Then, and you begin to work on them and change what you believe, your life changes. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So for example, if, uh, if, if I have struggled uh, growing up in a financially impoverished background, and, and I believe life's real hard, you've got to really work hard for everything you get, and man, there's not much to go around. If I believe there's not enough to go around for me, so suppose I was the last in the big family, wasn't much to get around for me, and here I am, and I think there's not much for me. And when it comes to God, you know what? I'll be thinking there's not much for me. Everyone else gets blessed, but there's not much for me. And it reflects how you run your life. So I need to actually have that God has an abundant generosity to me. I've got to change the belief. And one of the, see, we, you can't change beliefs just by getting delivered of a demon. You change beliefs by uncovering what you really believe to be true. You'll talk it. At some point, you'll say it. At some, it'll be seen in the way you run your life. People can say, I trust God with my finances. Then I look how they run their finances. It's not true. You don't trust God at all. You actually trust yourself, and you're impoverished, and you're in fear of failure in this area. That's why the thing's covered and secretive. You're ashamed of it. Whatever you're ashamed of, you cover. And then covering it, you're hiding it, and it's got no power. If I can actually bring it to the light. A lot of husbands and wives struggle in their marriage in this area of finances. They, be, they have wrong beliefs about finances. Then it's covered over the finances. Then there's division between them on finances. To get this thing right, you've got to deal with the heart belief system, not just change the outward behaviors. It should be openness and transparency. Hey, because that's a fruit of being unashamed now. It's out in the open. Hey, you all got real quiet now. <laughs> Okay, let me just finish. We'll just share with you. I'll just give you the scriptures for some of those things, and then uh, I'll just finish up. I just want to pray for one person. And uh, so here is so God loves me. 1 John 4, verse 7 to 10. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. He has made me accepted. I'm accepted. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. God is good. Romans 8, 15 to 17. Romans 8, 15 to 17, and Exodus 33, 6. I'm a unique ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20. Okay then, so I, ne I need to get this in, into my heart. I'm unique, I'm unique. I'm made to represent God with my gifts, with my life, and I can walk with God. I don't have to copy. I don't have to copy. I can be original. See? Otherwise, you're comparing all the time. You compare what you earn, you compare what someone else has got, compare this and that. And that. When we compare, God may be different, different is good. Now i got something to give because I'm different. See? Otherwise, religion will make you a clone. You all turn up the same. You all look the same, carry on the same. God doesn't make clones. He makes unique people. So we can be different, so we can express our giftings and be unique in what we have. It's wonderful. But do you realize, do you believe that? If you don't believe it, you know what will happen? You'll be totally vulnerable to the pressures of everyone around you to conform to what they want for your life. 
Is that right? Let me just pray for Rod here. Rod, just come here. Just stand up. Okay, just give me a hand. That's right. Just stand there. That's right. That's right. Just stand facing me. That's right. Okay, just lift your other hand up to the Lord. That's what I want you to do, Rod. I want you just to, as you, with your eyes closed now, I want you just to be conscious. I want what you're feeling and what you're sensing. And I've linked my hand to your hand, so I'm holding on to your hand right now. So whatever I begin to start to reach out and touch with God, you'll begin to experience it because we're connecting. So you don't have to do anything at all. You just keep your eyes closed and your heart really open to receive. And I want you just to receive and to feel what I begin to experience now. And this is what I'm going to do now. Now what I'm going to do is this. I will just close my eyes and I'll just begin to meditate on the truth that I'm accepted and I'm loved. So what does that look like? I begin to imagine Jesus right before me. His eyes are full of acceptance and love. He's got so much joy in his countenance for seeing me. I just open my heart to him. Thank you, Lord. As I meditate upon him, I'm just totally conscious. I fix my mind upon him being there. I begin to feel his love flowing. Thank you, Lord. Woo. And so what I began, as I meditated, I began to access what I could see in my mind. See? Meditation puts the truth in your heart so it becomes living, and then you can access God through the truth you have. See? So what I did then was I began to just Imagine the truth of being loved and accepted. I saw Jesus standing there and he's very glad to see me. I see his eyes are ablaze with life and ablaze with love. I just began to embrace what I could see with my imagination and allow it just to flow into me. And as I let it flow into me, I began to access his presence. What do you feel, Rod? Just want you to stand up. I'll just get, I'll just pop this microphone here so people can hear you. Stand up. Just but it felt a real warmth, and uh, it looked like Jesus was standing there and reaching out his hand. And I could just sort of, as Mike was uh, just saying what he saw, I just feel it coming right across onto me. Yeah. So as I was describing what I could, what I was imagining, then it became real, not just for me, but also for Rod. There was a flow from heaven just came in. That's, that's why I did it demonstrated this way. It's because if I just talk meditating, I know you just, you'll nod and say yes and won't do it. And I had to spend a lot of time to do that, to actually encounter the Lord personally through meditating. And now whenever I do that, I just feel his presence. This is there. It's always there. He's always there. He's always good. He's always there. He always loves me. He's always willing to welcome me. He'll always pick me up. He's always there. But it took time to get the truth in. And if you get the truth in, it will change your life. Tanya, when you come, I'll just do the same thing. Just come, just hold my hand. Just stand here. That's right, just face towards me. That's right, just, uh, I'll just hold my hand so we make a physical connection. You don't have to do anything. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to allow yourself just to receive. You're just going to receive. I consciously have to stop thinking about her there. So all, all, all meditating is, is focusing your thoughts. It's making a decision 
to eliminate other thoughts. So I just eliminate all thoughts she's there with me and that you're looking at me and I'll totally fix my mind that Jesus is my friend and with me. He loves me. Thank you, Lord. You can take a moment or two. You just begin to connect. And suddenly I begin to feel his love just flowing in. And she'll be starting to feel it at the same time. Love of God just flowing like a river. Woo. You feel the presence of God? What did you feel? It's shaky and jelly. Right. So meditation is how the truth gets into our heart. If we're too busy, we have no time to meditate and busyness is in our heart. We have to make it a priority to get hold of what God has provided that we can stand unashamed in his presence and enjoy him. And from then you begin to change how you relate to people. The way you work with people, what you do with people, you begin to refuse to let people devalue. There's a whole number of things you can do now to walk shame-free. But it starts with my experience of the Lord. Not just knowing that verse, experiencing the verse. Accepted, loved, close. God is good. You can feel his presence. You'd all pretty well feel his presence now. I want you to finish this way then. I want you to stand right just for a moment. Stand and just lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift your hands to Him. We're not going to draw this out very long. It'll only take a few moments. It'll be about one, one minute to one and a half minutes. Then it's over. As you're standing there, I want you just to begin to activate your imagination. And we're going to... Imagine the truth. Most of the time our imagination is full of all kinds of other stuff. But right now for a few minutes we're going to imagine the truth. The truth is God is near to me through Jesus Christ. The truth is he loves me. The truth is I'm accepted. I want you just to picture Jesus standing right in front of you. Six foot, I guess. Bright, piercing eyes. Full of love and acceptance. They're ablaze. They look right into you. Focus on his eyes. There's not a hint of any judgment. You are loved. He's full of joy. Countenance shines. His arms are reached out like a friend to you. Because you are his friend. You've believed in him. As you reach out to him, begin to imagine now. and Imagine what it feels like to be loved by him. Feel the love just flowing into you. Just receive it. If you feel like falling over, there's a seat behind you will catch you. Receive in Jesus' name. Receive right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Thank you for your wonderful love. We can stand unashamed. You're not concerned about our failures. You're not concerned about things that went wrong in our life. But you love and value us. 
You've always loved us. You've never stopped loving. You passionately desire that you would have room in our life and heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You feel his presence? Some people, it may be just a little hard to focus your thoughts. You get distracted. But you can start to do that at home. And take time to just meditate, welcoming the truth like it's your friend. And then you know the truth. And the truth sets you free. I'm loved. I'm acceptable. God is my friend. He is good to me. He is always good. I don't know, need to be concerned about what other people think or say or do or what is happening around me. I am complete in Him. Amen. Amen. You feel His presence here? Meditating on the Lord opens the door to His presence. Meditating on His goodness. Many areas, many ways we can meditate. But unless that truth rests in the heart. Now today, whatever touch you got came because you just began to position yourself to do that. You'll do it day by day until the truth is in your heart. And as you become aware of Him, you may become aware also of things wrong, but His great love overwhelms you. You repent of those things. You put them right quickly. And you just have no sense that He... He's going to reject you because of things that are wrong. What a great thing. What if there's anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus? If you're here today, it'd be a great day. You felt his presence. With, you've heard the word of God. It'd be a great day for you to just do one thing. And the Bible says very clearly, to everyone who received Jesus, who believed on his name, he gave power to be a child of God. It requires you do something to receive Jesus and put your trust in him.